What's up, family? Welcome back to the Stop Sinking Show. My father taught me that most people are not your friends. And when he said this to me when I was young, I rebelled because I thought he just didn't want me to have the kind of friends that I had at the time. I thought he was trying to control me. So I didn't get this lesson until later in life. But he taught me most people are not your friends. Most people just want to enjoy themselves with you. They want to drink, smoke, play video games, whatever level of activity and enjoyment that they can share with you. That's as far as they want to be concerned. Most of them are not going to go past that and tell you no. Don't do that. That is not good for you. A real friend, a true friend tells you no. They get in your way and they tell you that is not good for you. Most people that are not your friends either won't take the stress enough or even spend that much mental energy on what you should or should not be doing. And if they do at least that, just spend the mental energy, they might just judge from far without ever bringing it to your attention. They might just talk about it instead. They might just talk about you instead. Or they won't be willing to put the stress on your relationship with you and the possible sacrifice of that enjoyment. Why would they jeopardize a good thing for them by getting in your way for you? That would require them to think of more than themselves. Most of your friends won't do that. A real friend is willing to put all on the line and stake all of the current comforts and all the status quo and any bit of ease and comfort that they have in your relationship to redirect you when needed. They will stress themselves for what is good for you. Even if that means you push them away at first. Even if that puts stress on your relationship. Even if that means they lose out on that shared activity for a while that they enjoy so much. They're willing to have conversations with you to redirect you. Hey friend, your boyfriend doesn't seem to be right for you. Hey friend, you've been drinking too much. You've been thinking too much. You haven't been thinking enough. Hey friend, you're not doing all you can. You've been lazy. You're looking for the easy way out. You don't stick with anything long enough. Hey friend, you weren't being honest when telling that story. Why did you feel the need to exaggerate? If you have even five real friends like this in your life, you have lived well. Most of us just surround ourselves with fans, not friends. Those that will big us up and cheerlead us for all of our bad habits, but won't dare to get in our way when we're headed in the wrong direction. Even if that simply means having a difficult conversation. Why bother? They're not bothered. So let's talk about this value of having a source of and making room for constructive criticism in our life and our relationships. How to be a real friend and give it. How to be open and invite it and take it. Because we need constructive criticism. 
because there's something of great value lost in living your life that does not have it. A life without criticism and honest conversations is littered with undiscovered opportunities for growth with no one brave enough to point at them. No real friends to tell you. You see, we are social animals. We require human relationships to keep us bounded and sane. We need social relationships, isolated from the course correction provided by others. Without others being able to point out that our behavior is acceptable or not, we can become erratic and a suboptimally functioning member of society. This is why, by age four or five, most children should have a degree of socialization, of socializing that encourages them to have acceptable behavior and learn what that is. We learn what is acceptable in play, so we continue to be invited back to play. Kids who don't learn how to get along with other kids at an early age have a difficult time in every aspect of life. Our animalistic tendencies are normalized through social relationships that create healthy boundaries of acceptability. They teach us. Isolated from this, we become disconnected from reality. We may have delusions of grandeur. You might overinflate your capabilities and accomplishments without having put it to the test because you're disconnected. You might exaggerate or lie or use people as tools to heighten your status. No one is there to tell you otherwise. Without the social element, we overweight and underweight importance of universally accepted norms. We don't know any better because we have no touch with it. We don't have the pulse on what is to even know better. You have no ear to the streets, no ground connection from your ivory tower, no perspective on your soapbox. We need social interactions. We are social animals. And the boundaries that they provide have many benefits. There are many benefits to honest conversations, the criticism, the adjustment, the learning of acceptability, and the invited discourse that that brings into our life, the adjustment that it forces us to make. Even if that conversation, even if the subject of the conversation and the discourse is you, there are many benefits. Well, first, the fact that you even have honest people around you that are able to tell you when you fall short speaks volumes about the kind of life that you're living. It's a symbol that you have nurtured strong bonds with people and you have created an impression that you are willing to improve and you're not rigidly stuck in a particular way of being. You're not the person that says, I've always been like this. This is just how I am. It is extremely easy to be this way, rigidly stuck. Just say, this is how I am. I mean, just look around in your life when I say this and think about the people that come to your mind. And think about how easy it is to be someone who is unapproachable regarding their flaws. People who have a select group of friends who they can comfortably never expect 
for them to criticize them or tell them how they really feel and where they're really falling short. They've built a group of fans. They probably just talk behind your back. Instead, you have honest people around you. So if you have honest people around you, it says a lot about you. That you are not this rigidly stuck person. That there is some part of you that wants to improve. And that has kept a source of truth in your life. Real friends. A mirror. Regardless of how ugly you may look, you are not afraid to see. So you can figure out what else you can be. This gives you an edge. These are the benefits of having honest conversations in your life and making room for it. Having the fortitude to keep this candor in your life, this edge can be the greatest source of capital for you. Fierce conversations lead to fierce results. If you expect to live a life that not many get to experience, you have to be willing to stomach and then transmute the pointed, identified shortcomings that most people would rather ignore or just be blind to. That's how you take it. But to give it also, learning to be this for others is an act of love. It's not easy to give someone constructive criticism. It challenges you to develop yourself and your ability to communicate. It is an exercise in care and investing in that care enough to cater to how you deliver that message to maximize the potential of the other listening party, the person you care for, to actually receive that message and take the appropriate steps in patching this identified opportunity of growth. This forces you to become better as a communicator, a better friend, better at acting out love, acting out care. Many benefits of honest conversations and inviting discourse in your life. Not only are there benefits, it is just necessary. Regardless of the relational dynamic, professional, intimate, familial, friendly, if a forward path is to be found at all, you need a firm bed on which progress can be made that requires healthy discourse. Society fails to move forward and is in a troubling state when we become too afraid to speak on topics or we have too many unwilling ears and have a bunch of rigid acceptance, rigidly stuck in how they are. Nothing moves forward or upward in gridlock. Being able to constructively criticize is the cornerstone of a civilized society. It is required in all dynamics of life. It is necessary. Okay. So you've decided you want to be a good friend, a good manager, a productive citizen. How do you frame your giving of criticism? I'll mention some how-tos and how not to give constructive criticism, how to give feedback. The first thing I'll say in how-to is to set an upfront agreement, an upfront contract in your relationship. Hey, there will be times 
we'll have difficult conversations. Using that as a platform on which to build your relationship. The other person can be given an opportunity to express how they like to be communicated to and can even guide you in how to deliver that message and what tone and what verbiage that they can receive feedback the best. Just have an upfront agreement as the basis of your relationship. And then when giving feedback, to ensure that our intentions are not questioned and that we are in a good headspace when giving feedback, when giving constructive criticism, we have to exhibit, show that we see the good and the bad at the same time. That this giving of feedback is a deliberate attempt to communicate. It's not just something that you're taking lightly. And it's not meant to evoke defenses from a one-sided perspective that you're offering. In management, we do this with a sandwich approach. Good, bad, good. You highlight something positive. You share an area of opportunity, something to improve. And then you reinforce with something positive. Don't do this disingenuously. Or give generic positive remarks but specific negative ones. There needs to be an equal specificity, an equal amount of emphasis when providing a compliment as well as when providing opportunity for improvement. This allows the other party to see that you value them, that you see the good, and that you can point out a room for improvement for them. It allows them to trust your intentions and that you are coming from a good place. And when you decide to give that feedback, you have to have empathy and understand where the person is fully in the context of their being. Not overemphasizing the improvement that's required as a way to overshadow all the other parts that make up that person. Unless this is a business requirement and you're giving feedback to your employee. You can't put the improvement that they need to make over all the other context of what they are and what goals they have in life. You have to have the empathy and the awareness of that person to lead them accordingly, to provide feedback that's appropriate. This person may have defaulted to certain ways of being because it proved successful in the context of their environment in the past. We cannot take a snapshot of a person at a time without taking into account how they became that way. And then have the empathy once the feedback is given where you don't expect people to agree or have the same perspective even after pointing out this gap of improvement. Again, unless... Again, unless it's an employee, if your goal is to really help and you care about this person, you can't be attached to the help being accepted or not. Your only job is to offer it with dignity and tact with a background of pure intention that is felt on the other end and acknowledged in a healthy relational dynamic. And that is felt. Just do your diligence 
and provide the feedback for the person you care about. Save them from what you can save them from, but have the empathy that it is ultimately up to them to accept it or not. And that they don't have to see what you see as a shortcoming, as one for them. Your only job is to be a mirror. And a mirror doesn't only see where to improve. They also catch them when they're good, when everything looks good. To reinforce behavior that you want repeated, notice and call it out when witnessed with clear specifics. So another way to give feedback is finding the right appropriate time to give it. And the best way usually when you see a behavior that you like, that you would like to see again, when your friend, your child, your employee does something that is behavior that you want repeated, catch them when they're good and give them specific feedback on how that was good. Instead of only providing feedback when there's a problem or criticism that's required to give feedback for. Have a foundation and open lane of constant feedback. That's what a mirror does. It shows everything. It doesn't just show you what's negative. Maybe even have a scheduled meeting for this open lane of constant feedback with your employee, with your manager, with your spouse, with your kids. Maybe you have a weekly one-on-one that's a sacred, dedicated time that serves as a basis to air out all grievances, questions, concerns, opportunities, and wins even. A time to be a mirror. Your communication can't only happen when it's a problem that you have to address. Or you will create a negative association with yourself and feedback in general. And then you miss out on this bond that you can create with this person that comes from the other side of providing feedback. And then you become less and less effective over time in your relationship with them. And when you do provide feedback, provide actionable feedback. Anyone can point out problems. Anyone can focus on problems. And I'm not saying you have to come with a solution. But the goal should be to find one. Even if presenting the problem is an invitation to further conversation. Where you together find a proposed solution. The point is to be focused on being solution-oriented. It does no good to play the blame game and identify the faults and who is at fault or to dwell on the actual fault itself. The fault should only serve as minimally as possible to point at an aimed direction away from it, not for the fault to be a source of pain or shame. Keep it focused on the action that they can take next and how they can move forward from the problem we identified. Those are some ways on how to give feedback. And let's talk about how not to give feedback. First, I'll say the worst advice in the world to give is the one that wasn't asked for. 
your greatest intentions will cause resentments. You may want the best for someone, but unless you know that there is a contextual open lane and willingness for that person to take the feedback as constructive in the first place, I wouldn't offer the feedback. Unless it's an employee and you have to, it's a business requirement. Because instead, your intention to make them better might cause them to harden up and create a negative association with future instances of feedback. Or maybe even negative association with the thing that you want them to improve. Of them wanting to even try to improve it in that area in their life. If you care for someone, you don't want them to have trauma and shame around their area of improvement. One of the worst things you can do when giving feedback is not having built your place in that person's life to even have the ability to give that feedback for it to be well-received. A prior relationship of trust is required. You have to have done the work to earn the place which makes it possible for feedback to be well-received. Every time it's not well-received, every time I'm not getting the best of someone, I always try to remember that this person is someone's husband, someone's wife, someone's daughter, someone's son, and that there is someone who experiences their best side. And if I don't get that best part of them, that I have not done the work or earned the right to reach that part of them yet. All feedback requires a background of work done on the relationship or else, why else would anyone even listen to you? No one cares what you know until they know that you care. There has to be a connection of know, like, and trust before there is any chance of having effect. And how not to give feedback is to be completely tactless. You never escape the need for tact. Honesty without compassion is brutality. It is never what you say, but how you say it. You can deliver the worst news and provide the most difficult to swallow criticism if you make it palatable. This is a skill. It does not come naturally. That's what we talked about developing. If you care and you take on this task to give feedback, you have to develop yourself. Most people avoid conflict and difficult conversations because they are severely undeveloped in this skill. Most people don't learn how to semantically phrase their needs or opinions to accomplish the goal. This is what poor socialization looks like. Not having learned how to play with others without either being a tyrant or a slave. Never having learned the art of negotiation. And regardless of how good you are at negotiation and delivering feedback, there are always post-criticism steps that are important to take. After you provide feedback, you might feel bad. Unless you're a total psychopath, telling anyone that they have room for improvement is not a comfortable thing. You are pointing out where that person might fall short, the gap that they need to make up, 
And that is a loaded conversation that carries in it work required and judgment on your part. For it to be effective, for your opinion and your criticism and feedback to be accepted and well-received, everything from your assessment to delivery to post-delivery steps in restoring balance is important. After you give feedback, one of the post-criticism steps to take is to reconnect. We have to reconnect. After any instance of feedback given, it helps to restore balance and friendliness back to the relational dynamic. You may end that session by first asking, hey, are we okay? Could I have said anything better? Is there anything you'd like to share? And then changing the topic genuinely and connecting on something else for a period of time that almost lets your body forget this tense feeling of criticism that was in this moment that just passed. This creates a positive association with tense conversations. That it doesn't have to make things awkward or put your relationship at risk. That there is still a safe space, safe place that existed prior to the conversation. You have to reconnect. Those are ways to give and how not to give feedback. Provide constructive criticism. And if you've decided that you are on a never-ending path to growth and that you are on a life mission to identify and develop your deficiencies, then you want to learn how to best take constructive criticism. And one of the best ways to start is just to assume that the other person has something of value to tell you. If you are on a mission to be better every day, assume that the person on the other side automatically has something of value to tell you. Even if they fail to use the words that hit immediately, hit home immediately, if instead those words that they use trigger defense mechanisms in you based off of their delivery and approach, if you are truly in it to improve, if you truly want to continue growing and challenging your status quo, you will do what is necessary to even help them find the words. To simmer your defenses and ask intentionally for clarification and further detail. You will coerce out of them some takeaway, regardless of the conflict that arose, so you can add it to your repertoire of considerations. The feedback that they're trying to provide you might come with it, something that you should consider. And I'm not telling you to misweight anyone's opinion or advice on something, just anyone. Not all feedback is appropriate or can be valued from the person giving it if it's not their domain of expertise. I wouldn't take advice on how to be rich from a homeless person. I wouldn't take advice on how to be happy from someone who is miserable. Again, I'm not saying that a three times divorced person can't tell you how to have a happy marriage. Maybe if they've internalized the lessons 
and had some transformational understanding that shows up tangibly in their life, maybe they are the perfect person for you to listen to. All I'm saying is, you have to weight the advice properly. According to the desired result you want to see and see the other person having. Usually the rule of thumb is, the person you listen to has to be doing 10 times as much, 10 times better than what you want in the realm of success that you're after. Another way to say it is, you will probably achieve 10% of what the person who is giving you advice has. If you listen to someone fairly successful, you will be one-tenth as fairly successful. If someone is making a million dollars a year, maybe they can teach you or help you or hire you to make 100000 If they do $100 million a year, they can probably see and create opportunities for you to make $10 million. So definitely have discernment with where you place weight and importance on someone's opinion. I'm not asking you to accept blindly, but it is the mark of an intelligent, wise person to entertain something without accepting it. But don't lose the message that can come from anywhere, even though I'm asking you not to overweight just anyone's opinion. Don't lose the message that can come from anywhere because it wasn't the appropriate messenger that meets your criteria. A homeless man can give you a golden nugget that might change your entire life. Assume that all interactions have something of value to unlock in them. What to do, what not to do. Even if it's just information and knowing of self that comes from it. Maybe while listening, something makes you feel a certain type of way. Brings up fears, insecurities, anger, something that surfaces. There's information being provided in every interaction. Assume automatically that there is inherent value in everything. And assume positive intention. If you want to learn how to continue to be better, assume that the other person automatically has something of value to give you, and assume positive intention on their part. Unless it's the comment section on social media, assume that if someone has gone out of their way to tell you something, to provide feedback, despite their haste and inability to deliver it, that the very fact that they have expended mental facilities to even notice your flaw is, well, first a data point of improvement that you should just register. But it's also an indication that on some level, that person cares for you. People don't just go out of their way to have conversations and be concerned with things outside of themselves. We're just way too self-absorbed to do that. So there is some positive intention to be found in the mere fact that they said something, that they shared some criticism. Never assume malintent. Don't just assume it. Most people in your three-foot world are usually not out to hurt you. It doesn't help to look at the world from this defensive stance. You miss out on a lot there is to be gained. This requires courage. I'm not, this is not a naive sentiment 
to say that there are no bad people. But it is the proper disposition for someone on a mission to gain more than they fear to preserve. Just assume positive intention. And ultimately, if you want to be better and you want to continue growing, it is ultimately your responsibility to get the message regardless of delivery, especially the older you get. As a kid, the responsibility was maybe held more by the adults. So when someone gave you feedback or when someone criticized you constructively or when someone shared their opinions with you or was trying to teach you something, as a kid, the responsibility was more of that on the adults. Maybe 90% of it was in the hands of your teachers and parents to adjust their delivery and messaging to cater to your level of understanding and your emotions. But as you get older, you have to bear more of that responsibility, especially if you want to grow, regardless of the ability of the other person who is delivering it. And it's a sliding scale the older you get and the more professional environments you find yourself in. Maybe it's 50-50 between you and your manager. Maybe it's 90% your responsibility with an executive or some senior leadership member. It is up to you to extract the message and the meaning to unlock the possible lesson for you. Even if they didn't cater to your emotional communication style, your preference, or didn't speak at a level of your understanding, you have to apply your own curiosity and wisdom to decipher out of it something useful for you. The older you get, it becomes more and more your responsibility to take something away, regardless of how it was delivered, especially if you are on a life mission to improve. So let's end this with a couple questions. How much of a friend are you really? How can you go out of your way more and be invested more to give back to your friends by way of encouraging them to be better and being an honest mirror to them? How else can you do this for your family, friends, coworkers, and employees? Find ways to go out of your way more. How good are you at receiving feedback? How can you go about reacting better and inviting more and creating a more open lane for people that care about you to speak into you? How can you make yourself better at receiving feedback? And my last question is, what is one way I failed to deliver this message constructively in all the ways that I failed to hit home, but despite that, and despite which, you will still do the job anyway to find takeaway of at least one thing to improve. I love you, my friends.